Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, this is my, uh, the last part of my trilogy. And um, it concerns who we are. And uh, what I've wanted to do over these three Sundays is to make these three really simple statements, just two words each, that we are spirit-filled, that we are Bible-believing, and today that we are kingdom-advancing. And to say at the start of this year, so just, just, just wait on that one, Pete, a second. There we go. There we go. Um, to, stay, to say at the start of this year that I, I believe those three simple things are absolutely the key to whether or not we fulfill all the good things God has for us this year. They're three things that are easily claimed. It's just six words. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people will say, well, I'm Bible-believing, I'm spirit-filled. I, I've wanted us to just say, what does that really mean? And um, to say, I believe those things uh, will be increasingly relevant and distinct and vital to us fulfilling all that God has for us. So that by the end of the month, as I've already said a few times, we could all say, yes, this is us. And you know what? We, 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 we hold our heads high. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, we, don't feel, um, we don't feel belittled because we're Bible-believing. We are Bible-believing. Yes. And we are spirit-filled. Yes. And we are uh, seeking to be the best we can at kingdom advancing. Uh, last week... I shared particularly about what it means to be Bible-believing and how being Bible-believing puts, puts, puts us at odds with so much that's in the tidal wave of what culture would be saying. I made seven particular statements around uh, what it means about what we believe about life. Just to try and remember the seven now. About sin and salvation, about the church about gender, about marriage, about the end times, and about mission. mission. There we go. I'm really conscious in doing that, that, that they, all those statements give rise to a lot of questions, practical application of those things. So we have arranged that on, here we go, dates in the diary, on the Thursday, the 2nd of March... Here in Stony Stanton in the evening will be a Q&A evening where we will try our very best, try our best to answer any questions you have around those things. What, what does it mean, you've said this, what does that mean for me at school? What does that mean for yes, me at work? What does that mean for me with my family? Um, and, um, and youth, young adults, and some interlopers over there. Um, for the youth, we will be doing that uh, in, in the youth meeting on Thursday, the 9th of March. I think that's right. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, Thursday, the 9th of March. So there you go. Get those dates in the diary. And we'd really like your questions. Yes, yeah, sorry. Wednesday the 1st here in the daytime, midday. Thursday the 2nd at night. And we're going to Harborough on the evening of the 1st. And then the, the youth on um, Thursday the 9th. Um, but we'd like your questions for that, and we really like them as soon as possible. Richard Jones told me yesterday I should say we need them by the end of this week. Okay, so questions as soon as possible, please. Email them in, WhatsApp them in, let us know, write them down, send us a, send us a letter in the post if you... No, that won't get here in a week, will it? No, that's fine. <laughs> so today, folks, what does it mean to be kingdom advancing? 
And um, as you probably worked out, that is to do with mission, to do with our commission, to do with how we share good news with love and compassion. But I want us to see all those things in the bigger and proper context of Christ's kingdom. And if you'd now put the, um, put the, uh, the, pic- the picture up, there we go. Just to say, just as being spirit-filled and Bible-believing utterly go together, you can't be one without the other. You can't really be Bible-believing if, if you don't embrace what the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit. I, I think it's impossible to be filled with the Spirit and not love the Bible. They go together. But there's a third part as well, which is this, to be kingdom advancing, because being spirit-filled and being Bible-believing will inevitably make us kingdom advancing, because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he fills us with a love for the world, and when we start to read the Bible and believe the Bible, we begin to see the whole purpose of God that is contained in it from beginning to end. So so these things are utterly interrelated to be spirit-filled, to be Bible-believing, to be kingdom-advancing. They are all part and parcel of what I hope we can say this is us. Um, Now, I'm going to turn us in a moment um, into Matthew and Luke's Gospels uh, and just say something about Jesus and his kingdom and how he expressed that, how he came to describe that to us. And And what you find in in, in both Matthew and Luke's Gospels is that they they describe the beginning of Jesus' ministry in very parallel ways, Um, almost to the point that they appear in the same chapter numbers in each each of those two Gospels, Matthew and Luke's Gospels. So so they both begin, um, or they both in, in chapter three describe after a little bit of a different opening, they then describe in parallel the baptism of Jesus, his baptism in water. He came to be baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. He said, it's right that I do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized in the river. And and as he was, the dove descended upon him. The spirit came upon him and and filled him. And, um, And then immediately the spirit filled him. At the same time, a voice came, spirit and word. And the voice came to affirm his identity. And and all these things will link back to what I said over the last couple of sessions. The spirit and the word came, and, 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 and the word came to affirm his identity. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. And then, um, having having had the Spirit and the Word come together and work in partnership to give Jesus all he needed for what was about to happen next, what happened next happens. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And again, Matthew and Luke both tell this story in sort of parallel ways. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he overcomes temptation and he, he affirms, he proclaims the authority of God's word over Satan or the serpent's word. Starts to reverse things that went wrong at the beginning. 
Matthew 4, Luke 4. So Matthew 3 and Luke 3, you're in the baptism, you're in the the descending of the dove, you're in the the word of the Lord over his son to affirm his identity. Matthew 4 and Luke 4 tell us then that he went into Galilee to begin his ministry. And at this point, the two gospel writers um, give us a slightly different take on what happened next. And I think if you'd put the, the slide up, Pete, this is how Luke describes it. So Jesus now is baptized in water, filled with the Spirit, clear in his identity. He's overcome the, uh, the, the liar, the thief. He's, he's asserted the authority of God's word over the serpent's lies. And then this, Luke says that he goes into the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61. And this is recorded now in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus says, reading from Isaiah the prophet, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. I don't know whether that's exactly what Jesus said, or whether Luke is is summarising what Isaiah 61 says, that Jesus read from, and and I'm... Even as I say it, I'm sure it's the latter because Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61. And you know, Isaiah 61 says some other things as well. It talks about healing the brokenhearted. It talks about lifting those who are grieving, bestowing on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. There's a whole load of things in Isaiah 61. Here's the heart of it that Luke records for us that Jesus said it. So so the gospel writers um, depart in their detail at this point And Matthew simply tells us this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, or is at hand. And I say that because the gospel writers are really telling us the same thing. That Jesus' mission, his ministry, was the proclamation and the demonstration and an invitation into the kingdom of God which is really good news and involves freedom and recovery and healing and favor and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. This is the same thing. This is, Luke is what the kingdom looks like. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so I think this is a really significant start to Jesus's ministry. I'm here. The spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm here to fulfill those words of the prophet Isaiah, and as Matthew says, I'm preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. Amen. Now, if you stay in Matthew's gospel with me, because Matthew then goes on to say more about the kingdom, more about the kingdom being good news, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And if you put the next one up, Pete, Matthew 4, there's two passages we're about to read, which... Um, are very similar in in the way they describe it. And even that itself is significant. Within within five chapters, I had to count there between four and nine to work out how many it was. Within five chapters of Matthew's Gospel, 
Matthew pauses in his sort of storytelling to just reflect on on a kind of a bigger scene, a bigger picture. And in Matthew 4, he tells us this, that Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching, what? The good news of the kingdom. And healing every, or, or better still, every kind of disease and sickness among the people. And then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the, de- the epileptics and the paralytics. Look at the detail there. This is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus came proclaiming, preaching good news, healing every kind of disease and sickness. And Matthew describes some of them. Jesus has a heart for those who are, intense, who are in intense pain. Jesus has a concern for those who are, who are troubled by demons and the paralytics, and he healed them. He heals all kinds of diseases and sicknesses, all kinds of troubles, all kinds of afflictions. And five chapters later, we read this. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every or every kind of disease and every sickness. Just think about that. Every kind of disease and sickness. This is the kingdom. This is the good news. This is Isaiah 61 fulfilled. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. We'll come back to that. Because they were weary and worn out. Like sheep without a shepherd. You know that moves his heart. Sheep without shepherds. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant. And I love that. Jesus looks and sees sees crowds with so many issues, but but in his heart he knows that that crowd of abundant issues is an abundant harvest. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. In Matthew 12, he says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come amongst you. We're not waiting for a kingdom to come. We're waiting for some fulfillment, but the kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. Jesus brought the kingdom with him. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come amongst you. In Matthew 6, Jesus defines the kingdom gives us a definition of the kingdom, and he does it in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, as we call, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Lord, would you teach us to pray? He says, sure, I'll teach you to pray. And in Matthew 6, verse 10, he says to pray that God's, uh, God's will is done on earth as in heaven, that his kingdom will come. Matthew 6, 10, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a little couplet His kingdom coming means and is his will being done on earth as in heaven. His will being done on earth as in heaven. Jesus went on to say, if you, this is an amazing verse, Matthew 6 verse 33, just after that, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will provide for all our needs. Put him first. Prioritize his kingdom. He'll meet all our needs. What a promise. 
And as we, as we read Matthew's gospel, and Matthew particularly focuses on the kingdom because his Jewish readership, that, that was a particularly um, significant thing for them to understand the concept of the kingdom of God. As you read through the gospel, you find that Jesus is, uh, that God's plan for our lives is far more than, far, listen carefully, far more than receiving forgiveness. Far more than going to heaven one day. It's to bring us into his kingdom and his eternal purpose. Jesus is announcing a new life in a new environment under a new regime. He's inviting us to live and to enter God's kingdom and to experience good news, freedom, recovery, healing, favor, to pledge our allegiance to the King of Kings who's conquered sin and defeated the liar and the thief and who gives, who, who gives abundantly mercy and grace. I loved what Tim shared this morning. Made clean. Hallelujah. He invites us to enjoy different realities, to come into an alternative culture. Jesus is proving over and over again that wonderful phrase that the kingdom of God is God's total answer to man's total need. Every need we have is answered by the kingdom of God coming into his kingdom. Having announced the kingdom, having challenged people to change and repent and turn around in order to become part of it, Jesus then goes on to use, and I counted, about a dozen parables. About 12 parables, especially in Matthew 13, Matthew 18, in, uh, up 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, in those later chapters. About a dozen parables that describe how the kingdom advances. And essentially, he says there's going to be opposition, but uh, the kingdom will grow huge like a mustard tree. And the kingdom will spread everywhere like yeast. And the kingdom will be treasured like pearls and some other things as well. But essentially, Jesus is saying, advance is inevitable. The advance of my kingdom is inevitable. Amen? Amen. Everybody happy? Good. From the start, Jesus also makes clear that he's building a church who will join him in his kingdom ministry. Turn with me to Matthew 10, verse 7. Matthew 10, verse 7. As you go, announce this. This is just after he said, pray that the Lord would send workers into his harvest field. And you've heard this before, but I just imagine they're all praying, Lord, send workers. Then he calls them to himself and he says, you are the workers. You've been praying for yourself. So he sends out the 12, and in verse 7 he says, As you go, announce this, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases. Do, do exactly what I've just been doing. Drive out uh, demons you've received free of charge. Give free of charge. In Matthew 16... In verses 18 and 19, really well-known verses, he says, I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you what? The keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
so that whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 14. Jesus, in describing um, events of the end times, the things that will precede his return. And this one's pretty definitive. It doesn't give a time scale, but it tells us what will happen. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the, in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Really clear. So after his resurrection, Jesus gives his um, followers uh, what we often call a great commission. It doesn't use that word in the Bible, but I bet your Bible has that little subheading right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the great commission. And it says that they, uh, Jesus came, uh, uh, Matthew says this, and again, Matthew and Luke, uh, Matthew and Luke give slightly different versions of this. So Matthew, in his Gospel, ends the story, ends the story before Jesus ascends with Jesus um, uh, gathering the disciples together. And in verse 18, it says, they came near and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the great commission, as we call it, at the end of Matthew's gospel. But Luke ends his story of what happens just before Jesus, um, Jesus ascends in a slightly different way. And you get that in the first chapter of the book of Acts, written by Luke. And so there in Acts 1, verses 3 to 4 and verse 8, it says, After he'd suffered, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you've heard from me. And then verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The, the slide behind me right now is, is, is to say, this should remind us of something. In the garden, right at the beginning, God made man in his image, and it says in Genesis 1.28, God blessed him and commissioned him to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and to rule. God from the beginning, part of his eternal purpose was to have men and women made in his image, filling the earth, bringing his rule. But sin corrupted the image. Sin made the dirt. So Jesus came to wash us clean, to remove the stain, to enable us to be born again. And now here in Galilee, Jesus calls this group of new creation disciples, and just as the Father had blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, Jesus says, receive power, be blessed, to make disciples 
of all nations, to multiply and fill the earth. It's just a restatement of the original commission. It's just a restatement of the original mandate because God still wants the earth populated with men and women remade in his image and his likeness because this is how his kingdom comes. Turn with me to Acts. we just finish a little bit more on, on some of this and, and then we're just going to get into some really practical things. The book of Acts, um, if you just put the next one up, Pete, there we go. The book of Acts describes what happens over the next 30 years. Jesus sent the Spirit, just as he promised. The kingdom grew and spread from Jerusalem outwards, just as he promised. Starting in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, then, in, then in, um, towards the ends of the earth. All of that's what happens in the book of Acts, describing the first 30 years And this early church grew so rapidly. Acts 2.47 and Acts 16 verse 5 both tell us that people were being added every day. Every day. The gospel spread over thousands of miles. The gospel of the kingdom. It was the gospel of the kingdom. Spread over thousands of miles. Resulting in hundreds and hundreds of churches. Some of which... In Jerusalem, in Antioch, in Ephesus, and I would think in Rome, were homes to thousands of believers. You know, Paul alone traveled over 10,000 miles in his ministry without a tour bus. 10,000 miles from Antioch to Rome and everywhere in between. And I, I read this, I think, I think this early church was seeking first the kingdom and fulfilling a great commission. It was what they lived for. And I wonder, does it mean that much to us, David? And their version of kingdom advance, their, their expression of how the kingdom advances was just like Jesus's. Anointed, powerful, authentic, with words and deeds that could be seen and heard, spirit and word, sign and wonder, good news, freedom for captives, recovery of sight for the blind, healing, deliverance, resurrection, favor. Oh God, help us. (laughs) It wasn't all down to Paul and the apostles. They pioneered and they thrust forward, but everyone was filled with the spirit. And the saturation levels influenced everything. I want to say this great historical record, true historical record with empirical evidence of the kingdom advance was the result of the word and the spirit empowering everybody. Acts 17 verse 6 says these these men have turned the world upside down. This is the story of a few years ago at Momentum, I, I, I preached a message called Ordinary Heroes. And I was really stirred with that again, thinking about this. This, this, was the, this is the story of thousands of ordinary heroes. And I reckon they probably were all able to say, yes, this is us. Yeah. This is what we're here for. This is our priority. This is what we seek first. This is what we're living for. In Acts 8, verse 4, if you just have a look at that. 
Acts 8 verse 4, describes what happened immediately after the, um, the persecution that, uh, that occurred after Stephen was uh, martyred, Stephen was killed. And in Acts 8 verse 4, it says, those who were scattered, so, beg your pardon, let's just go back to, um, uh, uh, it says, all, all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land in verse 1. And then in verse 2, all those who were scattered went on their way proclaiming the message of good news, proclaiming the gospel, all who went. And, you know, a lot of us have heard this phrase many times. Today is not a day for big ministries, superheroes. Today is a day for the mobilization of the multitudes. That we can all say, this is us. This is us. I want to ask you to do something for me in the, in the month of February. I'd like you to read the book of Acts during February. Um, in fact, here we go. This little month of February with only 28 days. Ah, oh, poor old February. But it has exactly the right number of chapters in the book of Acts. <laughs> to read one every day. I just thought of that. That must be the Lord. <laughs> 28 days. In fa- it's not a leap year, is it? No, it's an odd number. can't be. It's not a leap year. 28 days. Well, you can do it how you want, but why don't you do that? Well, first of all, do that however you want. Read the book of Acts. Why not one chapter a day? I'd love you to read it. I'll do the same. Let's all do this. <clears throat> to sit with the Word this month to sit with the word. I'm going to sit on Leanne's pregnancy chair. I, Leonie, sorry. I only spotted you, Leonie, right at the end. I don't know where you are now. Didn't realize you were there. I suddenly saw Leonie sitting here. To, to sit with the word in February, one chapter a day, and with the spirit and the word, to read this book and put yourself in the story Imagine being there. Imagine being part of it all. And use that as a springboard for your prayers and your actions in February and beyond. Okay? Sorry, Leonie. Do you know the United Nations estimates that in the first century, the world population estimate, nobody knows, but, but, I, but I looked at a range of estimates, and actually this is the, this is sort of the, the, most commonly, um, the com- most common estimate. The world population was about 300 million in the first century. Okay, if you put the chart up, Pete. That means um, on the day of Pentecost, when, when 3,000 people came to the Lord, For those 3,000 to reach the other 300 million would have required every believer to have reached 100,000 other other people each. That was the task. The task for the first century church was, was can we between us reach 300 million people? It's it's only 100,000 each. The population today is, has just turned um, 
in um, November last year, they reckon, has just uh, turned 8 billion. And there are supposedly 2.6 billion Christians. So if I take all those Christians, um, I couldn't draw this on a, on a small enough scale for you to see it. It's three people. Hello? Three people each. Um, it's, it's nowhere near that. It's, it's like you, you'd, you'd need a mic, um, magnifying glass to even see how small that line would be. Now, if I take out um, nominal Christians who, you know, that's on their birth certificate, that spots from record. And let's just say, um, um, let's say it's not three, it's ten. We've all, we've all got to reach ten people. Well, it still makes our task 10,000 times easier. Okay? That's all the maths you're getting from me today. I can't count from four to nine, but um, there we go. The 21st century is not harder than the first century. That is a lie. The liar and the thief would love us to think that a postmodern, post-Christian world is harder to reach than a pre-modern, pre-Christian world. It's not. Just the same stuff. Just the, same, just the same tidal waves, just the same challenges, just the same contradiction between kingdom culture and world culture. It's not any harder. As long as our message is no weaker. We mustn't entertain thoughts that were alien to Jesus. We must not entertain any thoughts that were alien to Jesus. And when Jesus gave us his word, gave us a, gave us a commission, said, I'm going to fill you with my spirit, he didn't for one minute think we wouldn't have all we needed. Yeah? We don't have what we need. We can't make disciples in our age. That thought never crossed Jesus' mind when he said, wait here. I'm going to give you power to be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. In fact, he said, it's far better that I go. Um, as the Father sent me, I send you. You will do greater works than me. Our, mess, our task is no harder as long as our message is no weaker. The good news of the kingdom is our message and nothing less. Oh, hallelujah. Any other message, if it's not the message of the kingdom, any other message, even, even a message of... Um, Come to Jesus, have your sins forgiven, you'll go to heaven. It's too small. Yes. It's not the whole kingdom message. Jesus wants, to, Jesus wants to invite us to live in his kingdom, to live under his lordship, to live according to his ways, to, to enjoy his order, his righteousness, his justice, his peace, to enjoy his mercy, his freedom. Only the message of the kingdom has power to transform lives, transform marriages, Transform families, relationships, communities, or as Jesus said it, make disciples of the nations. The nations. He's talking about his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. So let's get practical. I nearly said let's get physical. <laughs> let's get practical. Living Rock Church exists. Can you put the slide up, Pete? To play our part 
If you've never heard this before, hear this now, be excited by it. The doors are wide open, come on in quickly. Let, let, go into the Connect area at the, end of this, at the end of the morning, sign up, name and address, you'll be on the database. There's a bit more to it than that, much more to it than that, but, but at least you can stay in touch with us then. Living Rock Church exists to play its part in the advance of God's kingdom. This is us. Our mission is no smaller than that. We're not here to promote a brand, to make a name. We're here for Christ and his kingdom. Uh, we don't, we don't, we're not engaged in mission advance out of guilt or out of duty or out of religion, but because we're joined with him in an eternal purpose and he has full confidence in us. I want to say, folks, this, this can be our greatest year. Our vision is to be a church that goes from the heart of the nation, from the heart of the nation to the ends of the earth. We've just had um, 24 hours away, um, elders and wives, Deborah and I, had a fantastic time, as always. And one of the things we did was to just review what God has said over the years prophetic word that we've received, that, that we believed is, is still relevant, still not yet fully fulfilled, has to do with how we direct things strategically. And I've put these particular things up because these were, the next four things were particularly word that God has spoken into this church, that our, the, the, um, the heartland of our ministry is the towns and villages. All the town, Jesus went into all the towns and villages. We want this year to refocus and say, Lord, we want to reach into all the towns and villages. More about that in just a moment. The Lord said wild flowers would be added. The garden, the garden was going to be, um, it wasn't going to be necessarily always neat and tidy with, you know, rows of tulips here and daffodils there and that's the limit of my flower knowledge <laughs> but lots of wildflowers would spring up and we wouldn't even know what to call them and God would integrate a whole range of flower and blossom and fragrance amongst us as I said a few weeks ago I'm so delighted at what God's doing but I'm hungry for more and more and more of that. The Lord, said, um, the Lord said many years ago, he wanted to make us a haven of health. And um, even that phrase is, is sometimes difficult to grasp exactly what that means. And we need to teach really clearly what we believe about health and healing. And we'll do that this year. But whatever it means, we want this place to be a haven. Safe, secure, and not just physically, but in every way, healthy. Yes. Healthy relationships. Healthy emotionally. Healthy physically. Healthy marriages. Healthy kids, etc. Uh, the Lord said we were to be an Antioch church. And that's taken much more clarity over the last few years as an apostolic base from which we send ministry far and wide. Everybody playing their part. And, and the last little phrase 
um, is, is part of that wider work, that together we will build beautiful churches. Amen? Can we just say that together? Building beautiful churches. Building beautiful churches. Amen. It means seeing his kingdom come wherever we have influence. Um, This great commission will only be fulfilled. I did promise myself I'd be a bit shorter today. I think I've already broken my promise. That this great commission can only be fulfilled if we are filled with his great compassion. One of the things I tried to emphasize last week, whatever we believe, we do not impose our convictions. We don't stop listening. We, we never stop offering hope. We choose loving others over judging others. Equal measures of grace and truth, or to put it in shorthand, equal measures of G&T. <laughs> Just so you remember it. Not so you go and do it when you get home. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. Look at, listen to the people Jesus was moved by. The poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus went to all the towns and villages and he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is abundant. Pray for workers to go into the harvest field. It means that our love for Jesus, our love for his world, means we care, we reach out, we lift up, we come alongside, we love people who've made mistakes, who feel guilty, who feel ashamed, who are weary and worn out, lost and lonely, poor and needy. This is us. Must be us this year. So let me finish with a few very practical sort of outworkings briefly. Um, If you'd put the list up, Pete, there we go. In no particular order, here's some of the things I think that means for us. It means we empower and we encourage everyone to be really fruitful in what you do every day. In your mission field, in your square meter, that we help you in whatever way we can. We encourage you, we empower you, we, we pray God's anointing on you to tell your story, to be kind, to be a good friend, to invite people, to be a great witness, sometimes using words. This is you. It means we grow our various ministries. And I want us to just be so grateful for those that lead and serve in our community cafe, the warm space, the community choir, Alpha, Simon and the team, Mum Stop, Dad Stop, Pebbles, Restorers. You always hope you've not missed anybody out, don't you? International Life Group, Rachel's Table. What a wonderful ministry. And we start new things. Fran is going to be starting a hygiene bank in Lutterworth soon, helping people at can't afford to uh, buy some of those things. It means we grow our network of life groups. And just to say, if you're coming in, life groups in this church are compulsory. I can't be any clearer than that. Not optional. Everybody in a group, please. If you're not in one, be in one. We're just about to change them. We, We need to start about, I reckon, about 10 new groups. 
Is that all right, Rich? Ten new groups. So it may be that that's something you could do this year. Start a new group, particularly with a passion for one of the villages. If you're in a place and you think, I want, I want others to join me reaching this place, let us know. We just want to empower you, release you, and encourage you in that. It means we really establish our plant outs really well. And I just want to say, in Atherstone right now, is any, Laurie, Ovi and Laura are here, brilliant. In Atherstone, we need some people to go and help them. I would really like eight to ten people to commit this year to being an Atherstone. Not a permanent move, don't have to relocate, but just to stand with Laura and Ovi, take our DNA, help spread the This Is Us message alongside Ovi and Laura, a couple with a big heart to reach that town. You'll be inspired to be there with them. Really encourage that. We want to see dozens added this year, far more than we've seen in the last two years, new birth, I mean, that we raise our expectations. The biblical norm is still daily. And many new people will mean lots of change, lots of growth, so let's embrace it. It means we support what's happening in Kenya. And I just want to say a massive thank you for all the support for Kenya. It's been brilliant. Even, you know, after that last day of sharing here, when we got back, we were given £8,000. Hallelujah. I might get a bit emotional in a minute. Do you know what? One of the things we've been able to do with that is this January, a couple of weeks ago, seven kids started school. Isn't that brilliant? Seven kids started school and now have the chance of a far better future. Other things we've done as well, but just for the sake of time, thank you so much. It means we support other churches who are, who are reaching to us for help and support, that we invest in them. We equip people who we can send into those places. And um, the little thing on the right there is, is first stab at a name for our new way of equipping people. Leadership Forum will end when Kerry comes and we're starting something new called Arise or Grow or something. <laughs> name to be decided. And... Um, that will be on, on some Saturday mornings, two, three or four a year, and then in some small groups. We want to help people come up to the place where they could lead 10, lead 50, lead 100, possibly even minister to 1,000 in church or in the workplace or in the community. We're to be outward bound, folks. Yes. Outward bound, missionaries, mobilized. And um, there's two dangers I just want to end with. I don't know if that's a good way to end. Uh, we should be outward bound. And that means we must not be building bound. A great building can be a brilliant tool, a great tool, or a great hindrance. And if you're here and you just feel comfortable and satisfied and at ease, you might be becoming building bound. The early, church, the early church changed the world without a church building in sight. They made a good stab at their target. <laughs> For years, we had no building. And I tell you what, it definitely didn't slow us down. If anything, if anything, we grew faster without our own place. So do not get wedded to this building. Secondly, don't 
let yourself become pot-bound. Another gardening analogy. I suppose it all starts in the garden, doesn't it? Your current life group, the current team you serve on, even perhaps the current congregation may be restricting you. We have needs in Atherstone. We have needs in Market Harbour. There will be needs elsewhere. If God is stirring the pot, come and talk. If you're building bound or pot bound, if I am, it will ruin my destiny. And we'd hate that to happen. Amen. The last thing I'm going to say is this. We, um, growing, growth in the kingdom is not always measurable. Not always visible. There's, and we're not into stats and targets. But I just feel this year some numerical goals could really spur us on. And my hope is that this year, as a result of being spirit-filled and Bible-believing and therefore kingdom advancing, we will grow our membership, okay? Grow our membership. Because if you think about it, when people come into membership, it means effectively they're saying, this is us. And we're walking together. So that's a kind of a significant thing. I'd love us to see in Atherstone... 10 to 20 people brought into membership. Ovi's up for that. He's like, so small? (laughs) In Market Harbour, I'd love us to see 20 to 30 people coming into membership. And here in Stony Stanton, at least 40 to 50. This year, coming into membership. Which means up to 100 people overall. That that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be brilliant? I've covered lots of ground. I have been a bit longer than usual. It's not that we've changed the way we preach. Um, It's just that I know I'm going to be away more this year. And I want to invest at the start of the year things that I believe matter most. I hope you can stand with me and say this is us. To kingdom advance, to Bible believing, to being filled with the Spirit. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.